has been a theme from the very moment we began to pray in this sanctuary before the service. He's been speaking it to people. I know I heard it being echoed through Antonio, through his whole presentation, through the songs and through the words that God is speaking. God's grace is truly amazing. And in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul is, has been making a case for his ministry as an apostle, but he's been doing it in the most peculiar way. He's, he's being honest. And sometimes when we try to make a case for ourselves, we're selective. We put our best foot forward. We say the, the best things about ourselves. We leave the... Um, we leave the negatives aside. We don't want people to see them. But the Apostle Paul has been saying here in 1 Corinthians 15 that although I'm an apostle, I really don't deserve to be one because the true apostles, the original apostles, um, those 11 after Judas had uh, committed suicide at Jesus' crucifixion, those 11 all saw Jesus. They walked with him. And they saw him after he resurrected. He visited them. And those were, that was a sign of their apostolic calling, was that they saw Jesus resurrected. And he spoke to them, and he commissioned them. And Paul says, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I, I wasn't with them when all that was going on. And then he says this in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The amazing grace of God that is with me is making me what I am. Paul wasn't saying, well, I am what I am. You just have to take me the way I am. That's the way God has to take me. And uh, that's, that's grace. No, he was saying, I am the man that grace is producing. I choose to be the person that grace sees me to be. God's amazing grace. Praise the Lord. So I was ministering recently uh, this past week at a Celebrate Recovery meeting, uh, leading in worship, and there's always testimonies there of these lives that had been broken and shattered, talk about how the Lord saved them. And I was sitting listening to these testimonies, some of them, and as I was listening to somebody talk about their life, my mind drifted off and I thought about how easily lives are capsized in this turbulent world. And I, I drifted and I, as I was thinking and I thought, about, I thought about times in my life where I've seen um, great Christian leaders and shepherds of God's people fall terribly in adultery and sin and, and, and publicly their weaknesses were spilled out for all of the congregation or the media to see. I remember back in the 80s where some of the great uh, internationally known leaders were caught in sin and it just had a, a, a shuddering effect upon Christians. And even when we see our own weaknesses, when we, when we see and notice our own sins, when we, though nobody else may see, we see ourselves, sin and fallen sin, we stagger 
at that. We stagger and stumble seeing our own sin. And so I was just thinking about how fragile our faith and confidence is because when we see those sins and weaknesses, they just kind of um, paralyze us. And then in my thought, it was like the Holy Spirit just opened up my mind and, I, and this thought hit me. Our Heavenly Father sees everything about us all the time, 24 hours a day. He sees all those awful, rotten things that we think, those things we say that no one hears. He knows all the different sins and crimes and mistakes that we make in our imagination, even though we may not act them out in the world. He lives with that. He sees that in all of us. He doesn't tune into the news to find out what pastor backslid but he sees all of it even before it happens. And when I saw that and I thought about that, I thought, how does God see all that and not become weak in the knees like we do when we see it? When we see those things, they have such an effect upon us. But what kind of effect does it have on God? Surely God does not see like people see. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it's hard to see God's amazing grace through just a few of these little failures and, I, and without wondering how does God see all the faults in us and yet continue to be with us like he is this morning. It's because God sees us with the eyes of amazing grace. He looks at us through his amazing grace, his eyes of grace. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, God had to instruct his prophet Samuel and tell him, God doesn't see things the way you people see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When God looks upon us, he sees all those things that are inappropriate that are wrong. He sees them in our lives. And yet, he sees a people who are rebounding. He sees a people grace is working in. He sees a people who are going to overcome. When he sees us, he sees the end result. And he knows what he's going to do. In fact, when God looks at us and he looks into our lives, it's, he's not frozen at a moment in time when we're at our worst. He sees us with the eternal eyes of his love and of his purpose. He who knows the end from the beginning and knows the power of his grace and the determination of his love and the will behind that love knows where he's bringing us and he knows we're going to get up. Though the righteous fall, seven times they get up again. God's love enables us to see him that way. And really, think about it, God's love uh, uh, doesn't inject him with tolerance like an opiate so that he can overlook our sin. God doesn't get up and take a fix of grace and it kind of makes his will weak so that he can deal with our shortcomings, our rebellion and sins. 
But, but God's love puts his faith to work in us so that we can rebound from sin. That's where his love is working. God's great love doesn't weaken him. It strengthens us. Praise the Lord. It, God's love doesn't change him so he can put up with us. It changes us so we can rise up and be with him. When God sees us, he doesn't see us falling short of his love. He sees God's love working in us and developing us. Praise God, somebody. Hallelujah. Jesus saw a great fisherman of souls through Peter's impetuousness. No matter how much Peter staggered and stumbled and, and showed his impetuous nature, God saw a great fisherman. And he told him in the very beginning, don't worry, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he did, didn't he? And did Peter stop being impetuous? If I, you read the Gospels, go ahead, read right on through Acts. Peter's still Peter. But he gets up every time and he spends more days getting it right than he does getting it wrong. God's at work in Peter's life. Somebody say amen. amen. I look at the Apostle Paul. Is there a greater example of the almighty grace of God, the awesome, wonderful grace of God? In the Apostle Paul, the great enemy of the church, have you ever stopped to think about what was Paul doing to those Christians? If somebody were doing to you or your friends, your Christian friends today, what Paul was doing to them back then, you'd want the police to arrest him. You'd want to haul him into court. You'd want someone perhaps to take him out because Paul was wreaking havoc with God's people. The great enemy of the church, but God saw an apostle in him. Though a late apostle, born out of time, an apostle nonetheless. And I'm, there's a message in that for you and I, because maybe like the apostle Paul, you missed the bus. Have you ever felt like, you know, I missed the bus when God was moving? I was off on the sidelines, fiddling around with the things of the world. When the Holy Ghost was being poured out, I had something more important to do. When God was speaking to his people, I was listening to what the world is listening to. I missed the bus. Paul missed the bus. Can you say amen? Paul missed the bus. He said, I am an apostle born out of season. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, as he's, he's going to wind up by saying, but I am what I am because grace is making me the person that I am. But he leads up to it by saying, last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, Jesus appeared to me also. For I am the very least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. When he made the case and he said, and then finally to me, last of all, as though I was one born out of time. When you take the original Greek phrase that Paul used when he wrote, a born out of season or born out of time, what he literally was saying, but unto me as one who was a miscarriage, a premature fetus, an abortion living among men, Jesus appeared to me. Have you ever felt like 
Have you ever felt like that? I am a miscarriage. I've so messed up my life. When I'm at those meetings listening to those testimonies, I'm listening to people who have lived most of their lives as a miscarriage or as an abortion. I'm living among men. And yet there they are, reaching up to the reaching down hand, believing that there's something more, believing that the transforming Savior, Jesus Christ, is doing something greater, that though they were disqualified, God has qualified them through His grace. Come on, somebody. Say, praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, I missed the bus. When people were coming to Jesus, I was running the other way. When the real apostles of Jesus Christ were receiving the Spirit, I was trying to kill them. But Jesus appeared to me. He's got some left for you. Let me tell you that again. Let me say that to you again. He hasn't given it all out. There's still plenty for you. You can be his man, his woman, born out of time. God's amazing grace can turn back, perhaps not the hands of time, but can turn back the effects of your foolishness. He can update you with a rebound, turn you around. God's amazing grace means that today is the day that the Lord has made. doesn't matter what happened yesterday. When, when he saw the Apostle Paul, there was nobody more contrary to grace than Paul. He was the antithesis of grace. He was a man of works and believed you should pay when you fail at those works. But God saw in him an apostle of grace, and amazing grace wins its most ardent enemies. Praise the Lord. They can't be won by anyone else, but God will win them. Praise the Lord. And when he sees us choosing to be dependent upon Jesus, you know, we're Americans. And we're proud of the fact that we love freedom. We're proud of the fact that that's in our national DNA. It's in our heritage. White, black, Asian, Hispanic. Doesn't matter where we came from. Doesn't matter by what path we have come here. Under the Constitution of the United States of America, though it's a man's document, it is amazingly the highest point among documents of governance for men that have ever been presented to people because at least it says legally, though we haven't always lived up to it, that all citizens are given unalienable rights by their Father God and our government is obligated to see and treat them as equal. Hallelujah. And so here... Here we are in our country loving freedom. And we're kind of proud of that. You know, we love the fact we are free. But, but one of the occupational hazards of, of having American freedom is that along with it comes a sense of independence. I don't need anybody. And when you're looking at government, and you're looking at the arm of flesh, it's okay to say that. I don't need anybody. But when you look at yourself before God, that spirit of independence can be a problem. We don't like to look dependent. It's called humbling yourself, and we don't like to humble ourselves. 
It's uncomfortable. Do you know how hard it is for people in church, even a church like ours, to get down on their knees and cry out to God? When's the last time you did it? Some of you, have you ever done it publicly? We don't like to display our dependence, but it's exactly where we need to go. It's exactly where we need to go. Because when I'm weak, then he is strong. That's what's amazing about his grace. His grace has come for those who know they're weak and will make themselves dependent upon him. When he sees us choosing to be dependent on Jesus, he sees us claiming our heritage, our birthright. I am what I am by the grace of God. Nobody says that without humbling themselves. I am what I am by the grace of God because I failed at being what I am in my own power, not my own strength. In my own power, my own strength, I don't want to put myself forward. I don't want to be seen because I'm ashamed of what I am and what I've done. But what grace is making me, that woman, that man that grace is making me, I am clinging to that heritage. And when God sees us dependent upon Jesus, when he sees it, we are quick to go down on our knees. We are quick to back up and say, I, I give place to Jesus, rather than rushing in and saying, I'm going to solve this and I'm going to take care of this. When he sees that we are becoming what grace is producing, then what he sees when he looks at us, even though he sees all those falls and those shortcomings, he sees his spirit working in us. He sees the spirit of God. And you know, I've known pastors who have fallen, as they say, they use the term fallen from grace. I wish they'd find a better term because they're really not falling from grace. In most of the cases, they're falling right into grace. They're falling from public reputation. They're falling from their habit of righteousness. Sin is sin. God doesn't change his mind about sin. Like I said, the love of God is not some opiate that he takes so that uh, he can look at our sin. The love of God is an injection of his faith that he puts in us to transform us and to cause us to rebound when we do sin and make a mistake. Praise the Lord. And so when he sees us, he sees his spirit working in us. Hallelujah. And that's why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. The world that we live in today, in the year 2021, is being drawn into the valley of decision. Look up the valley of decision in your Bible sometime. The Bible prophesies a day when the world will begin to move into the valley of decision. The world today is moving into the valley of decision. The society in America is moving into the valley of decision. Grace and deception are pulling mankind in opposite directions. People are either being lifted up or they're being sucked under. Look at what's happening. Listen to people talk today. You can see what direction they're going. They're either being lifted up into amazing grace or they're being sucked under into the darkness of deception. We are moving into the valley of decision. 
People, by their decisions, are determining whether they're being lifted up or whether they're being sucked under. Their decisions to either follow catchy phrases or follow the truth. To believe in methods or to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. To rely on catchy phrases, the words of men, and the methods of man, or to rely upon the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is making the decisions today in the Valley of Decision. My message from last week, what is the truth? Go back and listen to it. Because the church is receiving the dividing sword. And the church is deciding whether it's going to follow the truth or fall into deception. Whether we're going to rely on man's methods or whether we are going to go back to the amazing grace that gave birth to this church 2,000 years ago. The more that we identify with God's amazing grace, the more we're going to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and power. I can assure you of that. The more we as a congregation, one by one, two by two, begin to form up on our face and on our knees before God and take our place in dependence upon Jesus, the more we'll see the Spirit of God move. The more we'll see the manifestation spoken of in 1 Corinthians 7 of the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in us. The more we depend on His amazing grace. Remember that Paul said, I'm the man that grace is making, and I worked harder than the rest of those apostles, though it was not I, but grace, the grace of God, the amazing grace, working with me. Praise the Lord. So when you give yourself to amazing grace, what happens? His grace works through you, and you work harder. Everyone say, work harder. Rather than working harder in the flesh and in the wisdom of men, work harder in the grace of God. If we would go to work in the grace of God, if we would work on the things that, that, that produce the filling of the Spirit, hallelujah, we would see those amazing manifestations of God's grace. When God looks at us overcoming through all of our flaws and mistakes, He sees the, the real reset, the great reset. Let me tell you something, the devil's a counterfeit. Satan always listens to what prophets are saying. He listens to what prayer warriors pray. He, he stations his spirits so that they're in churches or in bedrooms or somewhere near prayer closets so they can hear. The devil isn't the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know all things. He barely knows anything. What, but he is a master mind. He has a mind like a computer. And he crunches the numbers and he analyzes the words. He sends out his emissaries to collect data. And they mine data from Christians who are close to God. What were those prophetic utterances? What is God saying? And somehow it got back to headquarters that God is planning a great reset. That God is going to reset the church back to the days of amazing grace. Hallelujah. People began to prophesy, and even though the congregations they were prophesying to weren't believing it and weren't acting on it, the devil was acting on it, because this great reset 
that uh, Biden and the world leaders and the heads of the European economic unions and, and the great billionaires of the earth have been formulating and concocting and putting together as a net to catch the, the billions of souls upon the earth. That effort was worked up in hell by Satan. It was worked up by Satan who said, I need to get out ahead of this thing. I need to grab that phrase. I need to create the fake reset. That's what I'm going to start calling it when I hear them promising the great reset. It's the fake reset. It's the fake reset. And you want to know what? When you find, when you find a... Um, what, what's another word for fake? When you find a... Um, a counterfeit, thank you. You know, whenever you find a counterfeit, always know that there's a real one somewhere. You cannot counterfeit something that doesn't exist. So God has a real reset. It's called being reset in the amazing grace. Going back to God's amazing grace. Hallelujah. And, and Satan knows God's bringing it. And so he wanted to get out ahead of it and counterfeit it, and he minted up the Great Reset. Because he sees his spirit moving, the spirit of God moving among God's people. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, My message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. The global tyrants are rolling out the fake reset to turn people away from God's amazing grace. People that choose the great reset, reset if you, you'll never see them choose God's amazing grace. Those that choose the fake reset have rejected the great reset. Satan is resetting society. He's resetting society back to the system that always worked best for him. That system he installed in the Soviet Union and China and North Korea. That system that he used to ruin Korea and more re uh, uh, Cuba and more recently Venezuela. He took a, the, a jewel of a nation and turned it into a lump of coal. A nation filled. Filled what? Kathy, the hype, the percentages were reported recently, unbelievable percentages of, of people of that nation living in poverty, abject poverty and starving. When just a few years ago, before they voted socialism and communism in, Satan loves that system. That, that's, your, that's the fake reset. And it's designed to strip people of their freedom, their strength, and their power. Satan wants to get out ahead of God's great, great reset and strip the public, the people, of their freedom, their strength, and their power. So they'll be too oppressed, hopefully, his plan, to hear the gospel. The great reset is with us. Let me say it again. I know, I know you're shouting hallelujah in your spirit. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the great reset is with us. The great reset is what well. the world doesn't have a great reset. They got a fake reset. It is time for the church to exalt the power of amazing grace once again 
and to offer America the opportunity to choose the true Great Reset over the fake reset. God is saying, I don't want you to let those guys, those tyrants, I don't want you to let them get away with a fake reset. You get out there and you offer the great reset, the real reset. The Bible says, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, and then we're going to make an altar and come before the Lord. The Bible says, where iniquity abounds, grace does much more abound. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Zechariah prophesied, and he said, this is what the Lord is saying. It's not by strength, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord who rules over all. As I said before, amazing grace is not permission to be less, it's God's power to be more. It's that rebounding spirit of Jesus to wait upon the Lord and renew our strength. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? To wait upon the Lord is not to sit in passivity waiting for God to do something. It's to express through your weakness, your hunger, desperation, and desire for Jesus. Take your weakness and go to God with it. Take your mistakes, go to God with them. Take your shortcomings. Don't let the devil separate you. The Bible says, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Refocus on his love. Recapture the vision that Jesus loves you. And that means something. And go to him. Run to him. Wait upon him. And even if you're weak, reach out and let love, let grace refill your heart. And let me tell you, your heart will outrun your undisciplined flesh. He'll give you an anointing and a power and a joy that will cause you to outrun your temptations. His amazing grace is where we trade our ashes for His beauty. Hallelujah. Where we get the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We get His rebound for our weakness. We get His vision for our lack of focus. How many of you are in a place where you're saying, I just haven't really seen God in a long time. I haven't seen what He's doing. I don't see Him moving in our life. Come before Him. Like Antonio was saying, know that He is good. Take hold. Reach out. Even if you feel like you're reaching out in the darkness, reach out. That light, Jesus, is there. Hallelujah. His grace is amazing. Reach up and call His name and the light will break through. Praise God. He will replace your lack of focus. He will restore your vision. He'll give you His vision. How many of you feel like Isaiah? The Lord is calling, but I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. God said, come here, I've got something for you. And he had an angel take a coal of fire off the altar. He didn't say to Isaiah, I need you to say five Hail Marys. I need you to recite the Lord's Prayer. I need you to quote Psalm 23. I need you to confess the word over yourself. He just said, be still. This might sting a little bit. 
And the angel put that searing hot coal on his lips and he said, there, your sin is gone. Now there's no reason for you to not go and be my spokesman. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Do you want to come to Jesus and let him put that coal of holy fire on your lips? You've been running around confessing things. You've been running around saying things, praying things. It's not making a difference. You need to come to him and let him purge your lips so that instead of cursing, you can command a blessing. Hallelujah. Oh, I would so love to be able to break this habit of complaining and cursing and, and, and agreeing with the curse of the world. God said, you're, you're a good candidate for a turnaround, for a rebound. I, I, could, I could work with you. Will you come and let the Lord touch you with his fire. Hallelujah. Amen. If you're hungry for that kind of move of God, if you want to, if you want God to perform his great reset, not only in you, but through you, come. Just come. Let's gather around. Just come kind of forward. Find a place to stand. And let's pray together. Hallelujah. Let's come before the Lord.